<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The sun is out. The snow has stopped. Thanks for joining us for another exciting week of the Take Two podcast. It is just the ladies' hour. Uh, Heidi Hatch here with KUTV2 News and Mara Carabello. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. Just us this Friday. That's right. Greg was a little busy for us, we yeah. hear. Too we busy. Do we think too busy? We got room now in the podcast space, though. That's right. So anyhow, if, if any of you are thinking, you know what, I could fill Greg's shoes, <laughs> give me a call. We'll have you come in next time. Uh, but... We're getting close to the holidays where normally it seems that things are slowing down and it's kind of quiet, but there's no such thing as quiet in the political world these days. It's actually kind of a busy week. So I don't know what's going on, but it just keeps speeding up, not slowing down. I know. Everything. And so I was thinking, ah, we can take a break for the holidays, but we may have to play that by year, depending on who does what this week. We'll see how it goes. But uh, one of the big talkers over the last couple of weeks as we head towards the legislative session um, is the fact that teachers might be getting a pay raise if that can get passed, but the pay raise really is tied to what I see is probably a backroom deal um, with the legislature that has wanted school vouchers, hasn't been able to get them passed. The governor wants to give pay raises, and it appears that they're going to be tied together. I'll give you yours if you give me, I was going to say, I'll, <laughs> a very inappropriate uh, yeah. thing. Well, you know? <laughs> so there's, it seems like there's some deal making going on. I don't think this is a surprise. Sometimes the news conferences are sounding like, oh, we might be able to make this work, but it seems to me like they've, it's lined come, up. they've come together. They said, this is what we want. The governor's office says, this is what we want. And they said, okay, if we both can make each other happy, let's do it. Yeah, and I think this is a continuation of a longstanding conversation. This is how we ended last year's legislative session. And they couldn't come to a consensus. And the governor then threatened to say no to vouchers. And this is a little flip-flop where the governor has gone out early uh, with his budget, really strongly advocating for a $6,000 uh, blanket pay raise, $6,000. Most of it goes into salary, some of it into benefits. And you're right, Heidi, all we're hearing from the legislators are, though, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yes, let's really invest. We've heard from leadership in both the House and Senate that they too want to invest in teacher salaries. But definitely, if you look at how the committee chairs were done, we've talked about this before, yeah. but certainly vouchers have been around for 15 plus years. I feel like Governor Huntsman was the one who really championed it early on and then it petered out and it had different varieties I mean we've changed a little bit about how we express it but it certainly looks like this year the executive and legislative or you know the governor's office I should say the governor's office and um, the legislators seem to have figured out a path to have the governor's office support vouchers which would be a big change the other thing that uh, we'll hear so the republicans would call this school choice and the other thing they'll really focus on I I believe is that these are going to be specific to an income level. So they are trying to attempt to frame it up as only families of a certain, you know, middle class uh, or lower, not people who they are judging can afford um, to already do private schools. What I don't understand is this is a little contrary to a support public education point of view. 
And it's a little weird for me to see, um, frankly, conservative legislators wanting to support these private entities and thinking that that's what provides choice in education. Yeah, and the interesting thing is there's always an argument, you know, from each side as to why it's a good idea or not. I'm seeing from a lot of um, Democrats or people who lean left saying, you know what, you're just going to be giving people money for religious education who are already going to these private schools who can already pay for it. So then you're taking money away from kids who need it, or you're just feeding the beast of people who've decided to take their kids out of school and homeschool them. No one's actually going to make a choice at this point. It's people who've already made a choice that you're just going to send that money to. Do you see that happening, or do you think there are people who, if given the choice and could get a voucher, might make their decisions differently? No, I think it's both. By and large, though, I tend to agree with the point of view you outlined first. I don't think this is a decision-making engine. I think a lot of private schools actually already offer some form of subsidized um, expenses to tuition if people really wanted that. The other argument is that I feel like I'm a really big believer. I I don't have a a child in the public school system. I have one child left who is actually going to a private school, but I don't have anybody left in the in the public school system. And but I still willingly want to pay my taxes because I think an educated population, and I think America has it right. Let's educate kids from the youngest ages on up. There are other countries who don't believe that. They don't pay for education at at a lower level and they pay for education on a higher level. So I'm a big believer that if your community is educated, so is everybody else. But when people say, well, they don't have good schools to go to, so we're going to give an additional option of private schools, I can't help but think you've given up then on your public school system because I don't think this is uh, the same amount of money to each family and when people say well we're just essentially giving parents well I didn't agree to help you with your family I agreed that education was important for my whole community yeah that is why I want to give my taxpayer dollars I don't want to give my taxpayer dollars for for you to make personal choices it's not that I don't want to encourage those I just don't need my taxpayer dollars being spent on you having more choices I want my taxpayer dollars being spent on making an community education system that outreaches to everybody. Here's here's my other big complaint. I think the biggest barriers and the biggest schisms in education are often in rural areas because um, a slightly different uh, maybe work ethic in which, frankly, kids are working harder. Sometimes they want to take off a little more time because they're working on farms or they're traveling great distances. And you don't have as many schools, right? Yeah. Smaller populations, less school choice. And I think that if you really wanted to help kids, why don't you come forget about vouchers and come up with a system that helps rural schools have more choices? Because, frankly, there isn't access to many private schools in rural Utah, and I don't think vouchers are going to do much for the gap sometimes that we see in technology and buildings in rural systems. Is there any way the vouchers help our public education system where it makes it stronger because they don't want to hemorrhage and lose kids to other places? Or is that just not something that we see ever happen? Yeah, I mean, the argument is also you decrease the pressure on it, right? Fewer kids per classroom because they've exercised more choice. But um, it's not holding up one key component in that it assumes that there is a seat for every child in a public sc- or private school. We don't have a lot of private schools here, yeah. and uh, many of them are already at capacity. So there may not be the openings that we think of, and I don't know that it alleviates. And, I mean, if you want to see the, the complication in the argument, 
you know, you see Republicans lean into vouchers and that you see also this brutal audit to the Salt Lake City School District, which includes criticism of keeping schools open with too few kids, right? And their argument for closing them is there are not enough children. So, I mean, you know, there are not enough kids in that school. So um, I think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in that the um, application of it. And I do think we're investing more than ever. The last few legislative seasons have invested just a ton of money and we should acknowledge how much investment has been going on in education. But I don't, I think vouchers distracts from um, really the core relationship that I want to see between taxpayers. And that is to make a strong fundamental public education system that's open for everybody. Yeah, and education matters, but uh, the money matters and how it all goes. And you brought up Salt Lake City, and I think a lot of that probably comes from, you know, there's schools that don't have as many kids anymore, and people want to keep it for property values or because they like having their neighborhood school and, you know, just give us some more money, we'll make it work. But nobody thinks about the fact that the money's got to keep going to other places, you know, too. You know, you always want it in your neighborhood, but and it doesn't all things work. aren't created equal, right? I mean, some kids, some communities that you're drawing for have more needs, um, have a more diversified student body. Maybe they need more English classes and and um, cultural classes. Like I, this sort of blanket one size is yeah. not the way to go. I know there might be other ways to go. I don't know if I've talked about it on this podcast before. We have to talk about other things. But when I lived in Florida, people were always worried about you know are your kids getting a good education? And I'm sure that there was different districts that did different things when yeah. I was there. But we lived in Seminole County, and I don't know all of the history, but I believe that there was some lawsuit at some point where schools were probably richer white neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. or maybe there was Puerto Rican or Cuban schools, and they were kind of, you know, maybe different income levels and probably not as good as some of the other schools. And at some point, that lawsuit changed where you were essentially applying to go to your elementary, junior high, and high school, sort of like you would to college, and you would have a first, second, and third pick. And elementaries weren't necessarily art schools or science schools. That was more of middle school and high school. But when we got there, we're like, this is crazy. We want our kids to go in our neighborhood. But it was the best education system because you chose where you wanted to go. Buses came to your neighborhood. They took the kids to wherever you wanted to go. And you only chose to go to schools that were doing a good job. They had letter grades, which we tried here in Utah that didn't, didn't quite seem work. to work. Mm-hmm. And there was ABC kind of schools. And kids didn't go there. Parents would pull their kids. If it was for a B for a year, you know, fine. But if it wasn't back up at an A, they left. And it made schools work harder to keep kids there. And they were highly diversified. We had uh, the school where my kids went, there was multi-million dollar families. And there were kids who literally lived in homes that didn't have running water or electricity. Mm -hmm. And it was great diversity. It was great learning awesome teachers. And I'm just thinking, you know what, there's got to be other ways where you can make it work and yeah. lift education up and give people choice. At Inserted the, same time. the competitiveness, right? Yeah. Good schools did better. Um, good administrators, good teachers got rewarded for yeah. what they were doing, but you still kept a fundamental support. We tried that a little and, and have had some success with our charter schools. I mean, essentially those are quasi uh, yeah. state schools as well. And they offer difference. We're seeing two or three educational choices that are pretty exciting that are skills-based learning. And yet they're, they're grade schools and high schools. So I think we have the diverse choices between 
um, public schools and charter schools. I think that's right, and I think that it, it, it feels like vouchers essentially abandon the school, the public school process. Yeah. All right, we'll have to watch where this goes. There's going to be, I'm sure, um, heavy debate on this. Education was a big topic uh, for the governor this week. He uh, surprisingly had a news conference was it yesterday or was it part of his monthly news address? Sure, where, I think it was a couple days ago. Yeah, he talked about um, how you don't need a degree anymore to work in government offices, which I thought was interesting. I don't know exactly what brought this up or why, because Governor Herbert, I think, was the first governor I remember that was really talking about uh, diversifying the workforce and not everyone needs a college degree. We need welders. We need people to work on, you know, the engines of semis. There's all these different things, you know, not everyone needs to go to college. But I thought it was interesting that they're opening a lot of these jobs that used to have requirements and saying we don't need them anymore. Good move. Yeah, what I thought was interesting, I'm going to maybe be parse a little bit, Ooh, but I think right. our audience parses a little. I totally love the concept he's developing, which is to say, hey, skill-based education, really critical, um, high-paying, high-functioning, really needed jobs in the marketplace. Um, you come and you perform as capably as anyone with a four-year degree. What I sort of objected to was, Maybe the hook, I'm going to say, in which he used to roll it out. He said something pretty hyperbolic, like 98% of the people who work in my office don't need a degree. And I found that sort of dismissive of four-year degrees in a way in which I still think that learning how to think, um, giving yourself time to grow and develop, learning how, and I think history matters still. I'm still from a social science that says, hey, listen, if we're so prone to just say only technology and only our existence as it is right now are the only things that give us wisdom. So I'm not quite as ready to throw away traditional education, but I suspect that it was upon the footing in which the governor believes in traditional education, and he's just saying, hey, let's diversify. I think he's totally right. If you look at um, skilled skilled tra- trades, I mean, to get, become a master plumber, it's four years plus, and it yeah. is technologically advanced. It is so complicated. He, he or she who becomes a master plumber is every bit as educated and as advanced as anyone who gets, I don't know, a computer science degree. And so I do think... The job market really, we the pendulum swung perhaps a little too much to mm-hmm. traditional education. I think that was his greater point. Um, and now we have three kinds of higher ed, I think. I think one is competency-based higher ed where it's a little traditional, but you can move through classes pretty quick based on what you, the knowledge you bring in. I think there's still traditional higher education. And then I, you know, certainly the governor is going all in on this skill-based learning. Yeah. I think there's good that comes from all of it. I look yeah. back at college and you think sometimes, you know, why am I taking this class or this? And this isn't what my degree's about. But I do think there's value, like you said, in learning a you know, vast array of information and looking at things in a different way than you looked at. I think it helps with problem solving. It helps with understanding people. And it's practicing to be an adult. Yeah. It's like adulting with training. Will. Yeah. I mean, when we get too deliberate about only doing things you want, I get a little bit like we're treating humans like widgets and I'm like come on we're not just here to produce and duplicate a skill effort over and over Um, and I like the idea that we need to develop the our ability to critically think and our ability to see from other points of view and I do think that's presented in a setting but 100% I'm for skill-based learning and it's not getting the credit 
or the support yeah. that it deserves. All right. We'll see how that one goes. And while we're talking about jobs, uh, not a great time for the tech industry here in Utah. I have a friend who recently had her husband laid off from the tech industry, and I think a lot of people were hoping that would be it. But we're two weeks out um, from Christmas. We've got Hanukkah around the corner, New Year's, not a great time for families when budgets are tight anyways. And uh, they're hemorrhaging hundreds of jobs in Utah's Silicon Slopes. And the governor came out and said that they are ready and willing to help the Utah tech industry as they're seeing more layoffs, which I think in one vein is good to hear because we don't want to have all these educated people leave the state. They, um, we want to make sure that we keep our unemployment low and fill positions. But at the same time, too, I saw on social media yesterday saying, you know what, when I lost my job in this industry, nobody said, hey, let's get the governor's office behind you and make sure that we've got a job for you and make sure that you can head in the right direction. Um, Thoughts. Yeah, I am struggling with this a little bit. I'm not struggling with um, my heart going out to those people who are losing their jobs. I mean, we all want to step in and yeah. support family. What a horrible time to lose your job. What a stressful thing. But what I am struggling with is the profit margins that tech companies have traditionally put into the marketplace. And, you know, there, there's a long move on. I mean, in fact, um, Walt Disney's sort of granddaughter puts forth and says i'm sort i'm 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 paraphrasing and not doing justice to her philosophy but she is essentially indicted billionaires that have made their money off of tech companies and saying shame on you for making that much money shame on you for not putting that money back into your employees and her point was that there didn't used to be such disparity between a, a middle-level worker and an entry-level worker and the C-suite. And right now the C-suite is making an unimaginable amount of money, particularly in the tech sector. And I think for us to walk in and bail these companies out who have disproportionately, I mean, salaries that I don't know fit actually the value that they're giving, I think that's part of the instability in the tech sector and in innovation. I think that it's an emerging sector. Utah can and should continue to invest in it. Um, these companies matter to us. Their skills matter. There's nothing bad about this industry sector. But... I can, I'm not going to abide sort of – I'm not on board with the government stepping in and bailing out a company until they first say to the C-suite, what does parity look like? In, in fact, maybe you should value your worker a little bit more than you value your profit margin. And it feels like that's standard practice in the tech industry. And when you say bailout, do you think that the – the governor's office will do anything to help these companies? Because I know that he specifically said uh, that they would try to get them jobs, you know, at other companies. But do you think they will do things to prop them up? That's a super good question because I am speaking in generalities. We haven't seen all sort of I was coming from the headline in which the governor's office of economic opportunity says they'll step in and help. Yeah. So that's going to be really key about what it means if it's a matter of exposure, communication, connections, networking terrific. Yeah. If it's a matter of truly supplementing um, and interrupting the marketplace, then I say, uh, I don't know if that's the right place for tax dollars. Well, the good news right now, there are plenty of places still hiring, but if you've been at the tech industry and making good money, I'm guessing you're not going to want to work at McDonald's. But by my house, I think you can make almost $20 an hour right now. <laughs> so if exactly you do need right. money, there are jobs out there. So it's going to be interesting as we watch, I guess, this shift because people are losing their jobs in the tech industry 
where will they go? Because there are a ton of jobs open, but they seem to be jobs when you're looking about town of in the services, which obviously yeah. is not, you know, the same level of kind of job. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this is where Governor's Office of Economic Opportunity is looking because the other story you continue to hear in Utah is that major companies have moved in, companies like Northrop Grumman, who have actually not been able to find enough qualified employees. Yeah. So maybe this in some ways reshuffles where our workforce is because I know we've been really successful at attracting some major national corporations because of our quality of life, yeah. because of our natural resources. But I do know there's a common complaint in which they're saying, hey, I was told if I moved here, you had a bunch of qualified employees and we haven't been able to find enough people. Yeah. So maybe this is a redistribution that is healthy because I do know there are some major corporations in Utah who are still short-staffed um, because of qualified people that are applying. So Northrop Grumman, I didn't know they were. So they're looking for engineers and rocket scientists, I'm guessing. Uh, what other <laughs> industries are lacking? You know, that's a good question. I've read these reports, and I'll, I'll have to recall them now. Yeah, them. don't test me on like so. But it is those large-skilled I – mean, we have a good defense. Northern Utah has an amazing defense and associated yeah. contracts. Biotechnology here is an, an emerging sector. I love biotech because – it's longer term. It's less yeah. risk. It tends to be medical, and we've got a great medical instrument market here. So I do think we've been able to attract skilled mid-size um, to medium-size, you know, to large uh, industries that maybe can absorb these skilled laborers from the tech industries. I'm also, yeah. I'll be curious to see what we decide as you say, like, how are we going to help them? I'm for helping them, but I'm not for that to have any economic strings. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But if they want to go in there and help people, you know, figure out how to put themselves to good use and kind of be the go between, between different businesses mm -hmm. and try to hook them up with jobs, it can't be a terrible thing. Um, I'm really sad that Greg's not here because I wanted to check in with him on his stocking stuffers to see if he's bought into the big announcement that came from former President Trump. I think a lot of people were thinking that he was going to name who is possible. You mentioned vice president was going to be or some other big announcement in that he's already said that he's in it to win it for the presidential election. But his big announcement was trading cards, NFT trading cards. Yeah, so I was going to suggest that you and I go in on this as a present for Greg. But if we were to buy the whole suite, it's almost mm. $5,000. If you buy all the trading cards, the, all the NFTs, so I feel like that's maybe too much. I am with you. I almost feel it's not guilt for sure, but I feel like you shouldn't talk about this with Greg not in the room because I have to tell you, I when I first saw this story yesterday, it popped up right on a news feed, and it was from a reputable source. It looked fake. I totally thought, why are they spoofing? Like, I'm I'm. I'm always up for a good Trump spoof, but I thought this is kind of weird that this news outlet is being a little a little snarky with them until I realized that they weren't. They were just reporting the news. Yeah. These are some incredible images they of are. our friend. And the interesting thing is, is people are like, this doesn't seem to be fundraising, that it's just a business where the money goes to... Trump, which I guess isn't unheard of. We have a lot of presidents who you leave office after making 275000 and instantly are multi-millionaires because they're getting massive speaking fees. And I don't know exactly where they're getting their money from, but they become very uh, 
rich former presidents. And I don't, so I don't yeah. think any of them have done it through NFT trading cards. No, though. the decorum new. on this is stressing me out a little. Yeah. This is pretty darn close to Putin shirtless on a big horse. I cannot I mean, get that image out of my head. <laughs> it's pre- I like, go look if you haven't. Like some of these images are, are a little weird. Like the cowboy. I mean, I don't know what's going on here, but... I know it doesn't suit. It's a it's it's a little post dictator. It's a little you know yeah post dictator for me. It's it's a little funky. And the weird thing is too is I was trying to figure out who the company is behind this because it says Park City, Utah when you look at the address, and it looks like it's a an address that has um, boxes that you can probably rent mailing boxes. But if the box is here, one would assume that someone up in Park City is running the business. So. Who is it? So, you know, we probably both read Robert Gerke's article this morning oh, trying I did to read unwind his, yes. that. And he he made it to a P.O. box in Park City in a strip mall to a UPS store. That has it. And then he found some other names of some mega shell corporations that are shell corporations to shell corporations to shell corporations. Yeah. But it makes it a little more intriguing now that we know these have come from Utah. And again, we're back to this really interesting, you know, we've had a week of listening to some cryptocurrency fails, but we're back to this. NFTs are really hard for me to wrap around because I don't understand the whole when you buy either. it, they remind you there's no value. Like I'm like, mm, okay. So why did I get this? Why did I get this? And this one, again, I, I think we might have to just have a redo moment where Greg tells us, did he start with the cowboy or did the aviator or did he go for the Superman? Like, and which one did he buy one first? Just 99. You could print it off if you want the picture in your office. Well, sure. And you can win um, prizes. Like, I think you can golf with the former oh, president. A one on one dinner? Yeah, dinner. You can chat But with did you the read phone. the small print said that you don't get to pick your image? It gets picked for Ooh, you. I didn't read so that part. You pay your $99, you know? You get surprised. Value just under 100 And then they send you. But but I thought, well, so if I pay ninety nine and I get the aviator, and then I pay ninety nine again, well, what if I get the aviator again? Mm, so it's what like happens? Cracker Jacks, and like, what if you keep getting the yeah. same dumb toy? So that's the only thing really that stopped me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting my money down. Well, it's keeping things entertaining. Um, not entertaining right now. I'm so sick of talking about this as we get to the end of the year every single year. Is it going to be a government shutdown? Is there not going to be a government shutdown? I just feel like there's got to be a better way to do business in Washington where we're not coming to the end of a rope where we're like, guys, you got to vote for it. We don't have time to read this. Just sign your name and let's go for it. So, you know, several years, 10, 15 years ago, I honestly think it was breaking news. Like people were actually working towards it and it didn't happen. Yeah. I feel like now it's just pro forma. It's like, oh good, it's, it's happening like, again. It's like, oh, is this the time where you say this and then I say this and then we don't do it and then we pass a temporary for four days and then we pass a temporary for 10 days and then we roll it into the new year. I mean, it just is expected, which the bummer there for all of us, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, is we just expect Congress to not be able to figure this out. I mean, like, I have no expectation that they will meet budgetary deadlines. No. Um, I was glad to see they seem to have agreed to their put-off extension earlier, right? Yep. I mean, they did quickly tell us they'll give us 
I think it was five more days, and then we'll go into the machinations of the the next year. But we don't even have an expectation. They don't. The body does not have an expectation of itself that it'll even attempt to look like it is streamlining or trying to manage well. No, and some Democrats right now are blaming Republicans, saying you want to wait till you have control of the House. But and while that may or may not be true, I feel like this is a problem whether it's switching power hands or not, that we just do the same thing every year. We have so gone beyond the sneetches on the beaches, right? They've all gone through the machines. I don't remember whether you have stars <laughs> yes. upon ours. Like, it's it's it, without exception, it's both. I mean, it is yeah. both parties. They're playing from the same playbook. It's gotten old. And the question is, how do you break it? You know, do you break it by having this maverick brand of independents who shake things up? Do you, how do you break it? Everybody runs on the promise of not acting like you're from D.C. when you get there, but the system seems to suck us in. It's a system and it's the way things are done. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to take to shake it up, but I feel like there's got to be a way where we get back to actually budgeting like they do in the legislature. I mean, you may not like how they do it on a state level, but they have budgets, they live by them, and they figure out each, you know, area and it's done in a short amount of time. So I mm-hmm. know it's possible. Yeah, they make the hard choices. Yeah. And they live with the consequences of them. And um, it's mandated that they do it. And it happens now. And now it's become an ethic. But, boy, D.C. isn't operating this way. No, it's so dumb. And it's not even breaking news anymore. We're not talking no. about it on the news every day being like, guys, there may be a shutdown. Wait, what happens? There's no countdown. It's like, no. oh, here, again, It's we've built it in now. Yeah. And we'll never fix I mean, if it feels like, it will never get fixed. I know. So I'm going to do what most Americans do, which is, you know, turn on holiday music. <laughs> it's a good plan. Uh, do you have big plans over the holidays? You know, we're going to have a mellower than usual holiday, which I am all for. We've got new little members of our family. I've got some family flying in. Oh, so fun. Super mellow. we got plenty of snow now. Yes. We're a winter wonderland, and since we're freezing cold, then... I think we'll have a white Christmas, so who knows? We'll maybe do some skiing, some sledding. Yep. How about you? Sticking around, too, I'm going to be momming hard. Nice. So Yes, I know. We were going to go do something fun, but when I take a week off for Christmas, I always think, let's go someplace, and then I look at flight prices, and yeah. I'm like, oh, there's a reason why we don't fly And I think about the travel, Christmas. and I think yeah. about, you know, my friend who I just went to lunch with who told me she was on the tarmac for an hour and 45 minutes, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah, little winter drive sounds fine. Yeah, so I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to hang out with the kids. Nice. I am going to wear sweatpants on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Nice. I'm going to let the teenagers come <laughs> over over and have free run of the house. Exciting <laughs> things like that. And uh, if we have to have an emergency session of take two, then we'll meet then if something crazy happens. But I'm hoping that uh, maybe the politicians just take a week off too. Not until they vote on the budget, but everyone else after, can take a break. After they extend the budget, <laughs> yes. just barely. Just barely into the new year. Well, thanks for being with us. It is going to be an exciting uh, 2023 when we sit down and talk about all the big things happening. Who's running? Who's not? What's happening in the legislative session? Uh, it's going to start out with a bang. Yes, it's going to be sexy. Thanks for joining us. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.